Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Music for PhDs. I'm Sunita Legallo, and I'm a visual artist. I paint to music, often live on stage and often to contemporary classical. I started this podcast so that I could talk to composers and really get inside their head, get a deep dive into some of these pieces that I was painting to. So today we're going to talk to Vince Ho. Vince is an award-winning composer and the new music advisor for the Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra. Vince is also a really cool guy, and we're going to get into comic books and supervillains and drinking cognac and all kinds of fun stuff. I'll be painting to Vince's piece, Sandman's Castle, at a concert in October. It was written for a particular performer, and she is, in Vince's words, a shaman. So we'll talk a little bit about that song, its mood, its soundscape, and the way I'm going to try to pin it down onto paper. We're also going to talk to Dr. Kate Enerson about how we experience music in our brains. It turns out there is a lot more going on than just air vibrations hitting your eardrums. So thank you for joining me, Vince, and Kate on this inaugural episode of Music for PhDs. It's an art project disguised as a podcast. How did you get into music? Uh, it started when I was 14 years old when I saw the movie Amadeus. After seeing that movie, I quickly went to the piano and wrote my first piano piece. And then from then on, I just did it for fun uh, as a hobby. Uh, the, then when university came around, I decided to uh, uh, audition for the music uh, department at UFC. And that's when I got a scholarship. And uh, yeah, and uh, the rest was history. Did you always gravitate towards classical then because of that movie? No, actually. I usually I played the piano at that point uh, mainly because I was expected to. But it, uh, but only from seeing the movie, I didn't realize how magical could, the art of composition could really be. I mean, the concept of composing music was foreign to me at the time. And I was a bit of a tinkerer in the sense that I like to put things together or like I would spend hours on uh, Lego sets and, and <laughs> building little things on my own. And so the concept of putting together like music brought the two worlds together like my piano playing and also uh, my tinkering mind and so uh, the whole process of composing uh was something that resonated with me you're a composer you mm -hmm. work with many different instruments and sounds and you know what does that look like when you when you go to write a piece of music uh, it depends on the piece, depends on the inspiration, depends on so many parameters and factors. I mean, let's see. Uh, let's take, for example, Supervillain Etudes, which I wrote uh, actually last summer. And it's a set of six works for solo piano. And what I had in mind was to write an etude uh, based on a character or supervillain from the Batman universe. Okay, and that nice. came about. Uh, so modern. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's something fun I want to do. They're not put in prisons, and so that suggests that because they go into Arkham Asylum, they all have uh, some neurological condition or psychological condition that's manifested in uh, criminal form. And so if, if you take uh, Riddler, for mm -hmm. example, I mean, total narcissist, yeah. OCD, OCD and autism on some spectral level. And it, when you do, and so I went through each character, uh, psychological analysis of them. Then I gave those profiles to 
dancers who I knew and we discussed what their physical language would be or their gestural language would be based on the psychological profile. And from that, I talked to the various pianists to discuss how some these physical gestures or languages could be reinterpreted in pianistic form. And so that entailed a very particular process because of the nature of the kind of work that was. So uh, with each piece, the process is always going to be different. I mean, if it's the same, then I'm pretty much not <laughs> not, not going to be growing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I'll just be going into default mode. And what interests me with each project is that there's always something there that's new that makes me think about how, like, uh, well, that raises the question, hey, how am I going to do this? Uh, another gr- uh, really good example that was new to me uh, recently, I wrote a collection of pieces for saxophone and piano called uh, Whimsical Sketches of Fanciful Birds. I know this piece. I love this piece. Yeah. Now, I wrote, yeah, I just recently wrote book two and book three, each one with five movements. Now, that came about from improvising with local saxophonist uh, Jeremy Brown. And it was actually a lot of fun. I'd never done that before. We, what we did was, uh, you know, I brought over a bottle of cognac <laughs> <laughs> to his place, drank. I mean, it was like a really good. It wasn't like the yeah, cheap yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was like solid a good quality. Act- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I really need. I felt we need to be like vibing right? <laughs> if we were going to make make some really like good music. And so we were throwing some ideas at us. So what kind of birds we would like like to explore in musical form? And so we went from peacock to robin to a, a phoenix to a dodo, and just we tried we tried improvising to see what we would think. Uh, each bird would sound like based on how we felt at that moment. That's awesome. Were you playing piano for that? And like Jeremy yeah. was on saxophone. Oh, nice. So you just kind of like riffing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, totally riffing, and uh, I and and I had my uh, recorder on hand because I wanted to be totally. sure I caught some of the magic, especially when you, especially yeah, after yeah, drinking yeah. like several shots of like, cognac. I, I was, yeah, I just wanted to be in that state of just being spontaneous. I didn't want us to be able to mm-hmm. write everything down like as it goes. I just want to be right there in the moment. So I recorded a, a lot of those sessions, and from that, I, you know, it gave rise to a lot of uh, really interesting ideas. Sandman's Castle is going to be performed in October as part of Calgary's New Works Festival. Right. Um, And yeah, can you tell me a little bit about the background of this piece? Yeah, it was uh, commissioned in 2015 from Dame Evelyn Glennie, one of the world's greatest uh, percussionists. I've worked with her many times before. And we have a strong creative relationship in the sense that we really uh, have a simpatico. We bring out the best out of each other and it's a kind of a, a synergy. And so we've wanted to, to continue working on new projects, uh, any, any opportunity we can find. Now for this particular piece, she was celebrating her 50th birthday that year and she had asked 50 composers to write a work to celebrate uh, her 50th birthday. There were certain conditions, though. I mean, she had she specified the instrumentation, and they had to be about fifty measures long, so nothing too long, nothing too short. Dame Evelyn Glennie is a Scottish percussionist. She's performed with all kinds of musicians, including Bjork, and she's also deaf. You can go on YouTube and hear her talk about how to listen with different parts of your body. She plays all kinds of percussion instruments, meaning anything you can hit. And the instrument she gave Vince was a tam-tam. A tam-tam is kind of like a gong. It's a hanging metal disc, and it ranges in size from something that looks like a frisbee to something that's taller than me. You were writing 
Sandman's Castle for Tam Tam, which is that an instrument you play? No. So how did you get started with it? First of all, I borrowed <laughs> a Tam Tam uh, from a friend, a percussion friend. So I had it in my studio for several months. And uh, and so that's where I start to develop uh, what it's like, uh, sorry, some knowledge or some insight as to what it's like to play on the Tam Tam and discover what sounds could be played on the Tam Tam. I also, uh, to help me uh, understand the kind of, you know, what other sonic elements or performance uh, techniques that could be used, I had Evelyn video record herself improvising on a Tam Tam using all of her or as many techniques as she could with as many mallets or, uh, or sticks as she had. Yeah, she has a huge Tam Tam in her studio. And so it worked out great because, uh, gives me a full idea as to what can be done so and um yeah and she basically just uh like for about 10 minutes tried almost everything she could think of that was available to her like within reach uh and from that from watching her create all these otherworldly sounds it gave rise to so many ideas of what i could use or uh what the piece was going was going to be about so you start off, you have uh, you have Dame Evelyn and you have the instrument. Uh, yeah. And so what really made you want to dig into Sandman as a concept? Well, uh, a couple of factors. One is uh, I'm a big fan of the Sandman series, uh, comic series <laughs> by uh, Neil totally. Gaiman. Uh, another is that I've always seen as Evelyn as a musical shaman. I mean, she's like a oh. modern day shaman, being that she just knows how to take the audience into otherworldly, you know, worlds uh, or dimensions just through her performance. I and mean, she's very um, ritualistic, I guess you could say, is oh. uh, her as how she performs it. As Vince said, Sandman is a series of graphic novels by British author Neil Gaiman, which center around Morpheus, the Lord of Dreams. The series is pretty huge and sprawling, kind of like a dream, but essentially Morpheus has to learn to change or die. And so the whole piece, yeah, it's about six minutes long, and it kind of, it starts and ends very quiet, but there is sort of this crescendo right in the middle. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Do you want to like riff on that like what was kind of going through your mind with with the structure well generally when you have a performer like her uh one of the most important things is be sure to give them a good solid opening and a good mm -hmm. closing and so the opening I had to right off the bat draw the audience in to this uh ethereal world i guess and so it starts off very uh with very eerie sounds but nothing too loud something that just first uh introduces the audience to the sound palette or the sound world that they're going to be um, uh, surrounded by. And from then on, these uh, sounds evolve and, and build in dramatic content and with, in the, uh, where the gestures become that much more aggressive or kinetic. Yeah, so I guess the general as a performer, that's just how I think. Where uh, as a performer, you want to keep the dramatic narrative going, and where it builds and builds that reaches a particular apex. I mean, uh, in this particular case, and not it's not always the case with every piece, but in this one, being that it's a solo piece and it's for Evelyn Glennie, I want to be sure it gave her something to sink her teeth into where it really showed her musical abilities and her talents. And I guess the buildup that you hear is just a natural consequence of that.
Yeah, it's a it's a really cool build. Um, I don't I don't want to try and impose mm-hmm. too much uh, too much narrative on this, but I guess when I listen to this piece and listening to you talk about uh, sort of what was in your mind when you were writing it, I really get the sense of like Dame Evelyn as this shaman kind of like shaking someone into a dream or like leading them into a dream like she's sort of uh this cook cooking up some you know maybe it's a nightmare maybe maybe it's a good dream i don't know for somebody that's definitely the visual i get in mind oh well that's great i mean that's one uh, i mean how a person listens to at least with my music i leave it up to the uh a listener to interpret it however wish however they uh, hear it uh i mean uh the title sometimes help but uh, i try not to give too much information in terms of the narrative because uh yeah i want to keep it uh, as uh loose for them to experience it on their own terms cool yeah i know that i i think that's really interesting and for me uh as a visual artist i i think that's what i really love about contemporary classical in particular it is it is a very idea rich music and it, <laughs> don't take this the wrong way. It can sound pretty weird sometimes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, but, but I like it because I think it gives me a lot of fodder um, when I'm listening to kind of this strange soundscape. I really get a lot of visuals that, that um, I just don't think I would encounter those ideas anywhere else because the mm-hmm. sounds, you just don't encounter them anywhere else. Uh, that's the one thing about that I love about contemporary music is that uh, there's so many uh, array of sounds that one can uh, use as part of their palette, and there's always a constant expansion of that palette uh, with each day. So yeah, I understand what you're saying. Especially with technology, it just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh yeah, absolutely. Quite exciting. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. So you you wrote this piece for Dame Evelyn. Um. Mm-hmm. Are there many ways of playing it? Like it's it's a single instrument for a single performer. Uh, that's a very good question, actually. Um, with this particular piece, I use uh, a lot of graphical notation, where I, in a sense that uh, there's no real pitches. It's not a it's a non pitched instrument, so there's okay. no real pitches. And so instead, I I mean I specified particular rhythms. I specified general ideas as to how each gesture would go but overall i leave it up to the performer to interpret however they wish and some of the notes give some ideas as to how what the kind of image that they are supposed to convey or the kind of states of being they want to bring the audience to but in the end it's really up to the performer to interpret it and uh, try and make it their own interpretation it's much like using the playwright as an analogy when you write the dialogue or the script for a particular character, you don't want to give too much information right. as to uh, how they should uh, read yeah, the lines. Yeah, you don't want to be too specific. Exactly. You just want to give enough, like the important words, uh, maybe some little indication as to what the context is, and let the performer, oh, sorry, the actor decide how to interpret it on their own and that's what gives rise to such interesting uh, interpretations if you if the writer were to give too much information right down to you know how, how fast they should uh, say, yeah. the, say the words at what uh, dynamic level and how and, you know, and the emotions yeah because they just 
are just following um following the uh like the instructions the yeah, yeah yeah no just, just following instructions just being told mm-hmm. what to do uh and that's yeah, there's no interpretation there and so in this case yeah it's the same thing where i gave enough information to point them in the right direction and then i leave it to the performer to interpret it however they wish knowing that uh every performer wants to deliver uh, you know, ex- an exceptional performance. They want to put in their best, uh, especially if it's a solo piece. So I, and that's part of the interest for me as a composer is to see the differing performances or the differing interpretations one can give on a piece like this. So for sure, it's funny. It's I think it's going to be a challenging piece for me because it is quite dark. I get a very sort of dark, moody, nighttime sense from it. I mean, with a title like Sandman, it's hard not to. Uh-huh. And I, I really want to have like like a dark background, lots of black and gray sort of inky washes. That's just mm-hmm. like physically challenging uh, to do in a short amount of time. Like yeah, I work with a lot of watercolor and inks and everything's very wet. So in terms of just painting it live and kind of getting it dark without getting it muddy, I think that's going to be my personal challenge. Because I kind of see it as, okay. yeah, I, I really have this vision as of uh, sort of this, this solo traveler kind of traveling through a dreamscape looking for something. Well, we are uh, just got a little bit more time. So um, we're just going to do a quick lightning round, which is just totally for fun. All right. (laughs) Okay. So we'll just launch into it. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Of course. Gin or vodka? Vodka. Okay. Uh, What's your favorite wild animal? A wild animal? Oh, gosh. I don't know. A lion, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What's your favorite domestic animal then? Um, cat. Nice. Uh, if you weren't in music, what do you think you would be doing? Oh, um, I would probably be studying economics. Oh, the tinkering again. Yeah, I can yeah. see it. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, do you have a guilty pleasure? Uh, yeah, I I love South Korean Korea, uh, South Korean action movies. No way! I would not yeah. have expected that. Okay, what, yeah, like, yeah. what's your? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, the Man from Nowhere and the Villainess. I mean, they are just fantastic. I mean, uh, it's just one of my little <laughs> guilty pleasures. I just love just uh, the, the South Korean cinema, and they really set new standards in the area of action films. So, if you're in need of some good action films, The Villainess is available on Netflix Canada. I just checked. I also asked Vince what he has coming up for the 2019-2020 concert season, and there's a ton. Yeah, there's a CD release uh, coming out, uh, Land's End Ensemble, on October 25th. It's got a work of mine called Kicking It 2.0. And also on the CD is a solo cello work of mine called uh, Morning Song. I also have, uh, let's see, I'm writing a work for the Taipei Chinese Orchestra. It's a concerto for the Zhongron, which is like a Chinese plucked instrument. Uh, It's a very traditional Chinese instrument uh, that I'm working on. 
I'm also uh, working on a short choral work for Luminous Voices for a June 6th concert this coming season. And after that, I'm writing a song cycle uh, for a soprano, uh, piano, violin, cello, and drum set. So, so I've got a few projects on the go right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, my piece, Rejuvenation. Uh, it's uh, for orchestra and pipa and narrator, actually. And it's being played this coming March by the Beijing National Center for the Performing Arts Orchestra, which is going to be played in the National Center for the Performing Arts, which is known as the, uh, the Giant Egg. Links for all of these shows and CD releases are in the show notes. So definitely go check out more of Vince's music. It's really interesting stuff. So we've talked to a composer about their process, and I've talked a bit about how music inspires me visually. But what actually happens to your brain and your body when you listen to music? Dr. Kate Enerson is here to talk about how we perceive music with our senses and why you should go to live concerts. Hey, Kate. Thanks so much for being part of this podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. So tell me, what is going on in your brain when you listen to music? That's a great question, because when most people think of music, they do think of sounds and silences and hearing things with their ears. But there's so much more going on in music, especially if you go to a live performance. So one example is the things that you see. You can see the person who's making music in addition to hearing the sounds that they're creating in their performance. One well-known example that is in textbooks now is that for years, percussionists had debated whether the way you'd hit the instrument changed the sound the instrument made. So some people thought that when you made a really sharp gesture to play a marimba bar, for example, that you would get a really sharp sound. And if you used a softer, smoother gesture, the sound would be different. Scientists did a research study where they measured the sounds that were made and found that the actual sound waves weren't any different. But the twist is, they asked audience members, and audience members reported that the sounds they heard were different, depending on what they saw. That's so interesting. So they're getting a, a visual cue from a live performance, and that's kind of affecting what they're, what they're perceiving about the music. Absolutely, even though the underlying sound waves didn't change. That's so cool. So that's an example of your eyes uh, giving you information. What other senses come into play when you listen to music? Music is really multisensory. So there's lots of cues that can influence what you perceive. Uh, another really good example is your vestibular system. So your vestibular system is the part of your inner ear that controls things like balance and helps you know where your body is in space. The way that you move your body can change the way that you hear sounds. So in one study that was done in Canada, researchers used an ambiguous musical sequence. So in that example, it's not very clear if the music structure is one, two, one, two, one, two, or if it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And when people moved their bodies to that music, the way they moved their bodies changed what they told researchers about the sounds. So people who moved their bodies on every third beat thought that the music had a one, two, three structure. And people who moved their bodies on every second beat thought the music had a one, two structure. The way they were moving and stimulating their vestibular system changed the way they heard the sounds. So if you are listening to a concert and you're tapping your feet or drumming your fingers, uh, that changes how you perceive the concert. 
well, that's a really tricky detail. Uh, the researchers looked at that because your vestibular system is only activated when you move your head and your ears. So just tapping to music doesn't change the way your vestibular system affects your processing because you didn't move your head. So if you're attending a classical music concert, most of the time you are sitting still. You're not getting up and out of your chair every time the music changes. That's true. And there's something to be said for a really wonderful listening experience in a beautiful hall, hearing great musicians. But that's not the only way to experience music. So anyone who's ever been to a rock concert knows that you feel that sound in your body. Sometimes people jump up and down or there's a mosh pit. So that's another way to experience music. So it turns out there is a lot more going on than just air vibrations hitting your eardrums. Absolutely. Many of your senses are involved in music, not just hearing it. So moral of the story, go see some live music, watch the performers' gestures, get up, get down, jump around. Thank you so much to Vince and Kate for taking part, and thank you for listening. If you want to hear more or learn more, I've got links in the show notes for Vince's music and the research that Kate talks about. I've also got links to the concert that I will be painting at. Sandman's Castle is being played as part of the New Works Festival in Calgary on October 25th, and we'll see how successfully I can capture those dreamy, mystical elements that we talked about. I'm really excited for the show, and I hope to see you there. But if you can't make it, I will post the finished artwork right after the concert. I'm also really excited for the next episode of Music for PhDs. I'll be talking to Jesse Deechsey about his jazz meets classical sound and his song Canmore. It's a jazzy little tune that makes me think of climbing mountains in the moonlight. But for Jesse, it's a very personal family story. So if you enjoyed listening and learning, please leave a review, hit subscribe, and stay tuned for the next episode of Music for PhDs, the art project disguised as a podcast.